0: You're listening to the food and fitness podcast, the show about all things related to food and fitness. Follow the show on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at food.fitnesspodcast. We're your hosts, Jackie Vandertoon, Jessica White,
1: and Dave Marshall.
0: So on today's episode, we are joined by Dr. Matt Miller. Uh, Matt and I just had this little tiny conversation. He just recently graduated, so the whole doctor thing is a little bit new to him. But I am super excited because we are interviewing somebody I've known for quite a while. He did his undergraduate degree at Acadia University, his master's at Memorial, another degree undergrad at Sheridan College, and his PhD at Concordia. Matt is an instructor at the School of Kinesiology at Acadia University, teaching anatomy and physical activity related courses. He is a certified athletic therapist and has expertise in the area of physical literacy in children and adolescents. Matt has numerous peer reviewed publications, as well as many, many presentations at various conferences. And I'm especially pleased to know Matt, as he was a student of mine twice, once at Acadia and again at Sheridan. I have to say how proud I am to see your growth throughout, and I'm really proud to call him both a friend and a colleague. Welcome, Matt. We truly appreciate you being here, considering you're in your first year of your teaching career, which, as you probably are finding out, comes with lots of new things. So, Matt, I'm going to take a little bit of a breath. Is there anything that I've missed that you would like to share with regards to your research interests?
2: Well, first, I'll just say thank you to all three of you to have for having me on your podcast. It's quite a pleasure of mine to be invited. Um, yes, Jackie, it's been a long time that I've known you and it's surprising to walk into to share and say, hey, I know that person. <laughs> um, well, let me think here. Um, I guess my research interests kind of span more than just physical literacy and I am also interested in injury prevention in general and how to kind of participate in sport and physical activity without getting hurt it's a tall order but that's something I'm interested in um and I th- just to say like my experience as an AT kind of or athletic therapist so i all probably say AT quite a bit um, has informed a lot of this research interest in injury prevention um, but that's kind of it so physical literacy injury prevention those are the two areas that i kind of focus on and um, hopefully have been able to connect through some of my publications so that's kind of what my goal is there
0: that's awesome matt you have a multitude of areas that i think are fascinating for us on the food and fitness podcast but I'd really like to focus on one of your two areas. And one is your master's in which you research, understanding the effects of gut hormones and obesity and exercise and obesity. And two, your doctor, which you focused on assessing movement competence and informing injury prevention in eight to 12 year old children development of the child focus injury risk screening. What made you explore two completely different areas for research or did one influence the other?
2: Wow. I have to say they're not necessarily two different areas. We're kind of focused on promoting physical activity in different populations. So looking at how, um, well, my master's was, that was a very general uh, <laughs> general title, but my the main focus of my master's was seeing how obese males respond to um, an exercise intervention, high intensity, this was kind of, around when uh, CrossFit came out. And so that was kind of the focus was how, how obese males respond to uh, a CrossFit type workout. And um, really in my master's, it was my first introduction to research or conducting research on my own. Um, And so that was the big takeaway. It wasn't necessarily informing my PhD, Uh, more of my experience as an athletic therapist is what really made me move towards um, injury prevention in that physical literacy area, um, but I think most of it was what I learned what I took away from my master's really was an interest in research, and I've done some reflecting over the years, and um, I see my time at Memorial kind of as an introduction to research as my my main takeaway from that, not necessarily uh, you know, some people will go through their schooling and have, this is my research area and this, 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 is, it's all connected. But I think these days it's kind of rare to have that, you know, kind of stumble your way and you ask 18-year-olds and to to uh, decide on their future in the first year of their undergrad and they make mistakes. So anyway, I that's what it, my takeaway from my master's was, was research and how to conduct research and, and that kind of thing gets kind of addictive doesn't it yeah it's yeah it is and it's uh hard to um sometimes hard to focus on one topic you know where I'm getting pulled into some research here or some different topics here at Acadia and it's uh just as interesting because I like research you know so it's it's hard to stay focused on one thing but that's something I need to learn I think if I want to continue on this career path
0: That's awesome. I I really love both of these topic areas, but let's stay close to your most recent research, looking at physical literacy and injury prevention. Can you share with us what physical literacy is in more general terms? And I say that coming from the perspective of, you know, what if I was a parent and someone said, Hey, uh, we're going to introduce physical literacy to your kids. as a parent, I may say, what the heck are you talking about? Does that have to do with computer stuff, reading, and movement? Can you share us what physical literacy is?
2: Yeah, sure. It's a, it's an interesting um, name, physical literacy. Uh, it was first, I guess, coined by a woman named Margaret Whitehead in the late 90s and early 2000s. Um, and really, it's just like literacy. When we think of literacy, you think of reading, writing, understanding language. Um, Physical literacy is generally someone's ability to be physically active and uh, there's a lot of things that go into that but um, it's usually broken down into four different domains of physical literacy. Uh, These domains are knowledge and understanding, so I have the knowledge and understanding that physical activity is important for my life. Uh, Daily behavior, so Participating in daily behavior, or, sorry, participating in physical activity on a regular basis. Um, motivation and confidence. So having the motivation and confidence to participate in physical activity. And um, where my research area mostly focuses is the fourth domain, which is physical competence. So having the physical abilities to participate in whatever sport or physical activity that you feel that you want to participate in. Um, And by no means are these separate domains, they all inform each other, Um, you know, having the knowledge and understanding that physical activity is important um, kind of pushes us or gives us the kick towards participating in physical activity as a daily behavior. And feeling motivated and having confidence makes us participate in physical activity. And then having good physical competence also gives us some motivation and confidence as well. Um, So, Kind of and it's been mostly implemented in children, physical these concepts of physical literacy. Um so it's kind of the idea is to set up our children well for future success and physical activity endeavors, whether it's sport or physical activity or whatever recreational opportunities they decide to um partake in. So I'm just gonna dive into something that you just said there
1: uh in regards to physical competence. Now I'm not a parent, but I feel like if someone were to come up and say, um, you know, your child, we're gonna talk about physical competence. I think that could be an intimidating term that's used. Can you break down to um, what that means in regards to assessing a child's uh, physical competence? And is that something that, uh, how people can pick up uh, in areas of concern or areas of success in a child?
2: Yeah, so um, yeah, physical competence, it does sound intimidating, you're right. -hmm. Really, what we're looking at is um, does your child have the fundamental movement skills necessary to participate in whatever activity that they want to participate in? So, when I'm talking about fundamental movement skills, I'm talking about like jumping and skipping and running and throwing, um, any movement that would be considered something you would do in a sport or physical activity. Um, So when we talk about assessing physical competence, it's just trying to understand how your children move and trying to see if they can participate in the sports or activities that they want to, um, while also considering, well, if they don't have good physical competence, they might not actually participate in these sports with confidence and they might not want to do it. So if we can help them in, improve their skills, then they will gain some confidence, be more motivated, want to do it every day, and they will uh, kind of that whole whole physical literacy conversation. Um, okay. But yeah, so that's kind of the point of looking at physical competence and kind of presenting it in that way.
1: Right on. So when you wrote your article on uh, in Thrive uh, Neurosport, you also mentioned those four uh, different areas. Um, and then you talk about uh, physical activity and promoting physical activity, and it's important to evaluate physical literacy. So we often leave this up to physical educators in schools. Now, is this something that should be happening before that? Or is this something that could be happening before and after the bell? Is this something that parents can do? Or is it just really up to uh, our educators that we have,
2: our coaches? Yeah, this that's a really good question. And I think it's, as everyone knows, probably, I think Teachers are, they work very hard and they have a hard job. Um, and I think phys ed teachers may also have an even harder job because sometimes they kind of get thrown into being a phys ed teacher without having the skills or experience of learning how to become a physical ed- educator. I have a friend on Facebook who um, I know personally went through a music training and is now a phys ed teacher. And so it's, you know, it just kind of happened. And so it's uh, unfortunate. I bet you the playlist for that class or <laughs> Yeah, well I mean, done. it would be fun, right? Fun to yeah. go into that gym class. <laughs> um, but, okay, yeah. Th- so to answer your question, I'm getting sidetracked on phys ed teachers. Um, it probably is the right place. F- physical education classes is probably the right place to evaluate physical literacy. Um it would take some time out of class. It wouldn't be super fun for the students um, because it's kind of waiting and in groups. You would see how one child performs and then see how another child performs. So it doesn't. It's not conducive to a, a fun phys ed class. Mm-hmm. Um, and it would probably need to be implemented from like a policy department of education governmental level into the curriculum for that to happen. Um, but to Capture as many children as possible. The phys ed classes would really be the place to kind of do this physical literacy evaluation. Um, most of the research in physical literacy is in the eight to twelve year old age range. There's a little bit in the five to eight, um, so we would definitely get that cohort in elementary schools. Um, but we can definitely do it in after school programs or extra extracurricular activities. There's some programs that are set up for promoting physical activity after school, which is great. Um, But we know only some children, typically the higher socioeconomic status would probably be participating in sports or extracurriculars. So we want to make sure that we're getting all of the children that we can. Um, I don't know for sure if socioeconomic status would play a role in physical literacy, but It probably makes sense that it would, unfortunately. Um, But there is, this is kind of uh, counterintuitive to my research because I created a physical literacy assessment tool, but there is a tool called the the play tool, physical literacy assessment for youth. Mm -hmm. um, And they've designed it to be accessed by teachers and parents and coaches so they can evaluate children on a more individual level. So um, any of your listeners or watchers or Anyone that's checking out your podcast might want to check that out if they're interested in this. It's PLAY, Physical Literacy Assessment for Youth. And I think uh, that would be a good way if they're interested. They have a lot of good um, resources for students or for uh, teachers and coaches and parents if they're interested in kind of understanding more about physical literacy and seeing where they're. They have, you have, like, your child would score this and how that relates to like a regular cohort of that particular age or something. So that that would be something that would be interesting. And if parents are just playing with their kids,
1: um, what are some of the basic activities that a parent could use to um, kind of evaluate their child or maybe to encourage some of, uh, or or growth in their physical competence, like throwing, kicking, are those kinds of things? Or
2: are we talking something a little bit more intense? No, no. I like my whole, and we'll probably get to this conversation, but my whole thing is just get your children moving. It doesn't necessarily matter what they're doing. Just get them moving. Um, There is a, one of the nonprofit organizations I've worked with in my PhD uh, is called champions for life. You can look them up. They're based out of Montreal. And um, they do some really cool after school activities with their children to tr- try and promote physical literacy. And one of the things that they do with their kids, which I thought was brilliant was balance tag. So mm. they, you know, tag, you tag your, whatever, you tag your friend, they have to freeze on one leg and put a beanbag on their head. And so balance is one of the fundamental movement skills being able to balance on one leg. So that's a really great way to spice up your tag a little bit more and, and also target some of those funda- fundamental movement skills um one of the things with being a researcher is i'm a little less creative when it comes to those things so i don't know if i have the greatest uh, suggestions for fun cool activities but um anything that promotes hopping or balancing or throwing or any type of cool creative activities that can Get children doing a lot of different things would be would be good. Um, I don't think it's the parents' role to worry about these things. Uh, worry about are they moving well? Do they have good physical competence? Because parents have enough to worry about, you know. Right. So I think just having getting them out the door and doing things is is good. is what the parents' role would be in this.
3: So one of the things that you write about in the article from Thrive is that physical literacy encompasses competence and motivation um, to participate in physical activity, as well as the knowledge and understanding to participate in physical activity for life. Um, So we already talked a little bit about what you meant by competence, but how does physical literacy lead to participation in physical activity for your entire life?
2: Yeah, it's a really good question. And it's, that's where the research needs to go, I think. Um, A lot of physical literacy. So the the thought is, if we promote these ideas in children, so we encourage physical activity, we teach them the importance of of physical activity, encourage them to participate on a regular basis, um, that they will carry these behaviors on through the rest of their life. And Kind of do that physical activity thing throughout their life. So that's the thought. Um, but there's all kinds of disconnects in that. You know, children like to play. Children will probably go, most likely, not always, but some go into play sports or physical uh, other recreation. But then when, like the real world hits, maybe things change and we don't participate in sports and activities as much. you get injured. Um, And so that's where the research needs to go is trying to understand physical literacy in older populations. And where are we with that? Um, I'm not sure, you know, in in our own lives, we can kind of take a a self-reflection on are we participating in physical activity on a daily basis? Are we confident and motivated and, you know, maybe not so much sometimes. I can speak for myself, right? Yeah. Um, So... The idea is that promoting these behaviors in children will lead through life, but I don't know if it's always that, that's not always the case probably. Um, So it's focused in children, but I think people can kind of take this and apply it to their own life if if it's something they're interested in.
3: Yeah, totally makes sense. Um, It seems like physical literacy is more than just the physical activity part though. Um, other than the physical domain, what other areas does physical literacy impact? So I'm thinking um, like in relation to school and socially related things.
2: Well, yeah, that's a good question. It's, I'm very in my silo of physical competence, Um, (laughs) but, and I'm not, so sometimes I lean more towards the science than the the hard science and the soft, softer science of the psych and sociology of it but um, it's sports and physical activity and being active is really how children socialize you know they go out on recess and they hang out and they play tag or whatever um, and that's m- almost even more important than participating in physical activity, the social connections that we make and Mm -hmm. kind of socializing. And I think it's all just a conversation of one thing really, and just making friends and connecting and doing, being active. And um, so I don't think there's a necessarily a direct connection. I guess you could say if my friends are motivated and confident to participate in physical activity, then so will I. And I want to do that too. Um, So it's, I I think, promoting physical literacy, promoting social interactions, promoting recess and play, um, they all are in the same conversation. And I think it's just how to socialize children and and create healthy lifestyles. I don't know if that's answered your question, but I think we got there.
3: Yeah, for sure. (laughs) And I, I think like too, like even things beyond just physical activity. It's how to work with the within a team environment, and there's there's so much benefit to it for sure.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
0: So, Matt, in 2018, you and some colleagues published a paper looking at physical literacy and injury and its connection to injury prevention program. So now let's go to your wheelhouse. How is physical inter- literacy linked to injury prevention?
2: Yeah, this is a. Uh... Yeah, this is, we were the first ones to really make this connection between physical literacy and injury prevention. Um, And it took some time, but when we look at, so the way I kind of describe, we look at physical literacy, we've taken the four domains, and then we look at physical competence. And within that physical competence domain, we're looking at fundamental movement skills. So I spoke with them before jumping, hopping, balancing skills, throwing skills, moving, things like that. Um, And then to be good at these, they need to be able to move appropriately, move well. Um, So for example, if someone doesn't run, it's not a great example, jumping, that's a better example. If someone jumps and lands and they their knees cave in when they land. That's an indication that they might have an increased risk of injury. It also would probably indicate they're not performing the movement skill as well as they could be. So this conversation about physical literacy and injury is kind of linked through the the quality of movement. How well are these these children moving? Um, So a lot of our research looked at the connection, there's a lot of information about ACL injuries and risk factors for this anterior cruciate ligament injury in in the knee um, and how to prevent these injuries. And we looked at this and then kind of looked at this movement technique piece where that's a high risk or one of the indicators for uh, an ACL injury if they don't move well, or if they have poor movement technique. And then kind of thought, okay, well, a lot of these assessment tools they look at how fast you can do something, how fast can I run from point A to point B, or how many times can I jump on one leg? And that's good and it's important to be able to do that, but these physical literacy tools weren't necessarily looking at, well, how are they doing it? If I can jump up and down 20 times, that's great, but if I'm jumping up and down 20 times and my knees are caving in every time, I'm at an increased risk of one of these ACL injuries. so that's kind of where our assessment tool came from, um, was this kind of connection and looking at movement quality, not necessarily performance or how fast they can do something.
0: That is is awesome. Um, Injury prevention, as is, 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 uh, is, I know, is near and dear to your heart. And as you get older, it's pretty important because we've talked on our podcast about injuries that we struggle with. Um, but what I'm curious about is can a sound physical literacy base in a kid be linked to long-term injury prevention in adults? What are your thoughts with
2: that? Well, first, Jackie, I have to say, I... Reluctantly retired from competitive soccer because I was getting older and realizing I should probably not hurt myself. So yeah, I get the I get it. As we get older, things like we have to kind of look out for ourselves because no one else will do it. Um, but to answer your question, uh, probably is the answer. I think there's no. I can't as a researcher. I can't like say yeah for sure. This is this is the answer because. I don't know really what the answer is, um, but probably. So the idea is, um, uh, so we know in, cho- in adolescents, around the age of 13, females have a significantly higher risk of carrying their ACL compared to males. And there's a lot of reasons why, but are there really reasons why or are they just kind of risk factors? We don't know why there's, there's such a difference. Um, and so that's kind of what got me into doing this. This research was, oh, that's really interesting. Why is there this difference between males and females, and what is happening in these earlier ages from eight to twelve that's pushing them or make like are they? What are their what sports are they participating in? What activities are they doing? How are they moving? That might lead to an injury. Um, so my thought is if we can kind of identify some of these things that. Um, lead to an injury, lead to these ACL tears, maybe they can not have the ACL tears and be more successful in participating in physical activity throughout their life. Um, But we already kind of touched on it where in adulthood, we don't know necessarily what kind of challenges are gonna come our way. Um, But if we can not have children tear their ACL, then they're going to be set up a lot better than tearing their ACL because sometimes people will completely abandon all physical activity because of one of these ACL tears or any any injury really. So the more we can reduce injury, the better it's going to be um, longer term. So I can't really say um, it's linked long term in like from a researcher standpoint, but it just makes sense that if we can promote physical activity at a young age, then... We should be more active throughout life.
0: Matt's next research project. (laughs)
2: Yeah, that's a lifetime (laughs) research right there. (laughs) But I do have to say I'm interested in physical literacy in older adults. I think it's um, an interesting topic. There's a lot of parallels between um, children and older adults in terms of their movement capabilities. Um, A lot more complicated things with older adults but it's quite an interesting link and and then we have from 13 to 65 in between where there's a lot of other populations that we need to understand physical literacy in as well but um that is a really interesting research area to kind of look at across across the lifespan
3: so interesting and we kind of talked about your take on uh, physical literacy is movement Um, And as a parent, I know that movement is really important um, to your health and to the health of uh, my child from a long-term health perspective. But is movement more than just telling our kids to go outside? What's your take on the type of movement?
2: Well, that's a good question. I feel I, I get into this. I don't have children, but just in my own life, I overthink and worry about my long-term health and longevity and I can't imagine what it's like to be a parent worrying about teaching these things to a young child. Um, I don't know, I, I can't really say that parent it should be the parent's responsibility to be worried about these things, um, but some things that the parent should worry about would be getting them out the door to play. Playing is really important. Um, because they children will encounter situations where they may be at risk of an injury and then they'll figure out a way to avoid that risk of injury. And then when it comes up in sports, then maybe they won't have that injury happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so playing all kinds of different movements, different settings is really good. Um, something else a parent can do is not have their child participate in one sport only this kind of this a conversation about um, early sports specialization um, we see it a lot in gymnastics where children usually females get um, put into gymnastics at a really young age and then they just stay there and only do gymnastics 12 months of the year and that can lead to and it has been linked to some injury later in life um, and we see it with hockey, especially in Canada. Right, a lot of people will play mm-hmm. hockey all year long, um, and that can lead to injury. So you see it a little bit. Some of the guys in the NFL are saying this, like, "Oh, I played basketball and football growing up, or I played baseball and football." And uh, Patrick Mahomes is one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, and he says that like he played baseball and football growing up, and he attributes his success to being a multi-sport athlete. And I think participating in different sports baseball in the summer and basketball in the winter or something like that is something that parents can do and should encourage their children to do is to participate in different sports um but I think it's really the coaches and phys ed teachers and other professionals that work with children on a regular basis that should be helping the children move better I don't think it's necessarily the parent's responsibility of course you're going to want to but just get them out the door participate in soccer and volleyball and whatever sports that they might be interested in and encourage them to try different sports. And I think that's, you're doing a good job if, if you're doing that.
3: Awesome. Just touching on the point that you shared about um, how one sport might increase your chance of injuries Do you think that is because of the repetitive movements over time? Or is it back to, uh, like being younger when you're playing, you're adapting, you're moving differently?
2: Um, yeah, that's, I think that's a challenging question. Uh, I don't know if we know the answer for sure. Um, but it's probably from repetitive movements doing the same thing over and over and over. Uh, And by doing the same thing and over and over, we can develop these muscular imbalances in our body. So I'm whatever, a right-sided hockey player, my shoulder might be up higher on one side because I always, I don't know, always uh, pass on that side of my body, right? Um, So those kinds of things can happen. Um, But also the movement thing where they're only being exposed to one movement environment, especially if, you know, I'm playing soccer my whole life and then all of a sudden I have to walk on ice because it's cold outside and I've never done that before. I have not really, you know, that's an easy example, but um, those kind of things, I'm not equipped to walk on ice because I played soccer my whole life or I yeah. played soccer and then someone recruited me to play football and then now there's people running at me with pads on and I don't know how to deal with that. Um, things like that can also contribute. Um, but I think the multi-sport thing, we don't know for sure. Um, maybe, Jackie, you might have some more insight to this, but I don't, I don't think we know for sure about um, why multi-sport athletes uh, kind of do better. Um, but there's research kind of going into that, about why participating in one sport might be a not-so-good thing.
0: Yeah, I can't. I can't really comment on that, Matt. Either I, I assume it has to do with transference of skills, and like you had said, prevention of you know repetition of the patterning uh, of the activity again and again. But yeah, yeah, I, I don't have anything more to answer than than Dr. Miller. I find it so interesting. Um, okay,
3: so back on track. Uh, how can we as parents help our kids to be more physically uh, literate? particularly when they've basically been told um, to be physically and socially distant this past 18 months or so.
2: Yeah, that's a challenge, isn't it? I think it's a challenge for everybody. We're all trying to figure out how not to be on our screen so much. Um, I think probably finding ways, I don't know, like I said, I don't have children, but finding ways to get them in off the screens would be one, but using screens to your advantage and connecting them to other children over Zoom and doing some yoga class or something like that um, would be helpful or kind of finding an app, finding a video on YouTube that they can watch and kind of move along with whoever's doing the workout or exercise or dance or something like that. Things like that are going to help kind of integrate our new technology-driven life and kind of trying to get people um, moving. One thing that this is kind of a side topic, but it's I'm running some of the community programs here at Acadia, and um, we have older adults that come on campus. And then we have our 19, 18, 19-year-old students kind of training them, um, showing them how to exercise or whatever and one of the students told me well my participant um really likes to dance and like okay we can work with that and so I told them I told all the students because they're the TikTok generation like show your older adult how to do a TikTok dance as a warm-up or something you know so using whatever technology that we can to kind of Get in touch with physical activity and help children move, I think is good. Um, I don't know, but I don't think it's as it was when, well, when I was a kid and probably when you were children, you know, just go outside and play, like go in the woods, like we would just run around in the woods and just kind of, I don't think that happens so much anymore. Um, So, yeah. So whatever you can do to use technology and um, connect children with each other in doing physical activity is going to be helpful but I think things are kind of getting better um going to a park and staying socially distant would be good kind of doing whatever you can to get people connected and moving will be helpful.
0: I always remember when my kids were in elementary school and so we're talking 12 years ago thereabouts And uh, I remember it was a rainy day and I had gone into the school and the school had bought Dance Dance Revolution. I didn't know what this thing was, but all the kids were in the gym doing this dance to Dance Dance Revolution. And it was, you know, obviously some kids were gaming, but I thought this is the best thing since sliced bread. Instead of all the kids, you know, doing nothing, they're actually doing something and it's physically active at the same time. So Kudos to that school. I was super, super pleased to see that. One of the most eye opening studies that I read was the Pacey study that was done that looked at physical activity levels of children and youth in 2005. So, again, I'm dating myself. And one of the the frightening things for me when reading it was physical activity levels declined considerably as the kids aged through high school in Nova Scotia with about 90% of the kids participating in appropriate levels of physical activity in grade three to less than 10% in grade 11. And I remember alarmingly, there was less than 1% of females participating in physical activity in grade 11. That was 2005. Do you think that there's any difference today? And I know that you haven't done any research on this, do you think that that might impact physical activity levels or injury levels in the future, considering we've been in a pandemic for the last 18 months? So is there a difference in physical activity today? And what are the long-term ramifications if you could forecast for a lack of physical activity, if that's the case?
2: Um, I think there is a difference. We definitely see more females participating in physical activity. Um, but there's still a big difference between males and females participating. Um, and there's still a big problem with sedentary behavior. I'll put it as, I guess, you know, especially with gaming and things like that becoming in some cases, legitimate career paths. If you're really good at it, you can make some money, but that's exceptional and rare. Um, So it it does become like a hard discussion, probably with some children to stop playing your games and go do something else. Um, So I think probably there's more people, more children participating in physical activity, but as they don't have to once they kind of leave, I don't know if it would be grade eight or grade nine after they do that, maybe they don't have to take phys ed. I don't know what it's like in high schools. Um, but it definitely declines significantly once they leave high school. Um, And, you know, the long-term ramifications would be multiple. (laughs) Like, if they don't participate in physical activity and they decide to never participate in physical activity, that's probably okay for their injury risk because they won't be putting themselves at risk for injury. Um, But then they have, you know, Things other things to worry about as a result of their physical inactivity, cardiovascular problems and uh, neurological problems, and you know, increased adipose tissue and things like that would be a big challenge for people that aren't physically active. So, um, I think, yeah, it's a problem. And the pandemic in general, I mean, there's of course all kinds of problems with the pandemic. Um, But it's, we see it as I'm sure you're seeing it, Jackie, at Sheridan, it's students are less prepared to be in person. I also would say that athletes are less prepared to be in person as well. Sports are coming back and there's different people have responded differently. So some people really leaned into physical activity and did a lot of it over the pandemic and other people couldn't, do that and um we're seeing that with all of, now the things are coming back. I think we're probably a little bit more opened up out here in Nova Scotia than the new folks are. Uh so we're seeing a lot more uh participation but there's increased injuries and more people a wider range of physical conditioning and physical abilities because of this pandemic. Um and I don't know what it will be like, you know ideally well in from my setting in, in a university once kind of this cohort kind of moves on hopefully ideally things will be back to normal and um it won't be such a significant impact but with this cohort of students and it's just you know it kind of goes back to first years to grade 12 to grade 11 and whatever year they're in um it's gonna they're going to carry that with them and particularly in physical activity they might not choose to do physical activity at all because they had a poor experience or they missed out on those, you know, grade six. Cool thing that they do in grade six uh, in phys ed and they missed out on that. And Then they were like, well, forget it. I'm never going to do this. I want to do gaming. So, I mean, it's a big discussion and something that we probably can't control uh, because what will happen is The phys ed teachers, when they get them in grade seven, will be like, oh, no, they're so behind and we have to catch them up on what they're missing. This is, you know, um, and they won't be able to because it's they're trying to teach them grade six and grade seven things. And, um, you know, I don't I don't know how to kind of solve that problem, but I think just moving in general is is my message, I think. Get moving. Yeah. I love it. Now, is it physically possible for a child to bridge
1: that year gap um, of physical literacy? So if they were at school in grade five, missed grade six and coming back in grade seven, is it physically possible for a child to regain that, to, to start where they
2: left off? Oh yeah, I think so. Um, it might take some extra work on the child's part though. So they would need to understand the importance of it and why they are being asked or being told to do these things. Um, But, you know, we see in the eight to 12 age range or any age range really below 13, there's a wide variety of heights and weights and arms lengths and legs lengths and, you know, growth spurts. And so I think um, it's not a lost cause at all, especially, you know, for children that have not gone through the growth spurt I think that they can they're very resilient and they can learn quickly uh, after the growth spurt it's a little bit different they there's some awkward years in there with learning how to move their body and then uh, that's I'm talking you know growth spurts and how fast people grow is another impact risk factor for injury um, so that's a, a different discussion for a different day probably but uh, I definitely think that um, children can regain or make up for lost time, for lack of a better word, on these these years of not having physical activity or, or structured gym class. You
1: know. So I think maybe what you're saying is the longer the gap, the longer or harder it will be to kind of fill that the missing opportunity or regain that physical activity.
2: Oh yeah, I think so. I mean, that, I think that just kind of is probably the case in adult life too. You know. The longer you go without physical activity the harder it is to get back into it um and it's it would probably be even more so for children if they just don't participate in physical activity for from the age of 8 to 13 they're probably not even interested in it and won't want to do it um so trying to encourage them to play and go out and do things and i guess that's to kind of circle back to how the parent Jess, you were talking about the parents' role. I think maybe more so now in the pandemic, after the pandemic, it would be good to kind of encourage your children to play and go out and do things because of the the lost time they may have had from not doing phys ed on a, I don't know if it would be daily in elementary schools, but a regular basis. I think
3: my little guy is in grade one and they have Jim back this year, which he is very excited about. It's still outdoor, but he gets every other day.
2: Okay. That's pretty good. I think as at minimum, it would be like three times a week. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's, yeah, I think that's pretty good.
3: And they have recess and everything as well, but yeah. structured three times a week in, in his grade anyways.
2: Yeah, I think that's good. And it's, I'm glad to hear that they can go back into the gyms and do things. Yeah. Good to get them moving.
0: Matt, I have a question that I've, I've been quite curious about. I have two boys, as you know, one, uh sagittal plane motion, like really great as far as amazing runner, but anytime you do any cross body stuff, he just like swimming for him is, is almost impossible. Never injured, but he's only 18. The other kid, that kid could pick up a ball and do anything like just phenomenal skills. But kind of more so along the lines of injury. Now, you could say, well, one's more aggressive than the other. But the question I'm asking is, do kids naturally, like, are there some individuals who are naturally physically littered? Like they know where their body is in space. Um, And there are other kids that, you know, like my kid, someday he's going to learn how to do a a breaststroke or something like that.
2: Yeah, that's a good question. And I don't know if I know the answer. It's probably like a nature versus nurture type discussion you know what is it something that they are born with and they can do or is, excuse me something they can learn um I don't know I think um it's it, there's a lot you know are, is your one child more interested in the saddle to claim the the running movements um and maybe he was just drawn to that and that's what he likes to do and he probably does like it because he can't do the cross-body things and then he focuses on doing that more and has more confidence more motivation to do that type of activity and it just kind of feeds into being better and doing that activity more um, but I don't know the answer to that and there's probably some genetic components as well you know as, as I'm learning my sister and I are uh very different people and but we were raised in the same household we went to the same school high school we went to the same university she went to Acadia as well uh and we're just different different people and so there's a lot of impacts that genetics has as well and I that is something I don't know very much about at all so I don't think I can speak too much to that that doesn't really answer your question but it's uh definitely interesting to kind of ponder about those things
0: Matt, welcome to the world of research. Uh, it's interesting how you, there's always more questions to ask. And I, love, and I love that where it's like, I don't really know, but you could see the, your brain kind of moving a little bit saying, oh, that would be a great study. I, I know that's where you're kind of going with this. Matt, once again, thank you for joining with us. I would love for you to come back and share some of your research, looking even at gut health and obesity. We really wish you the best with your future career. However, if some of our listeners are interested in learning more about your work, where can they go and how can they contact you?
2: Yeah, well, thank you for having me. I appreciate the time and giving me some time to talk about things I'm interested in. Um, I don't really have a website, but they can go on the Acadia Kinesiology website and under faculty and staff, my name will be there. uh, And they can see some of my CV is there my email address is there and they can see my research interests So that's probably the best place to find me. Um, I don't really do much of the social media. I'm on social media, but I don't use it for research purposes. Um, I've tried that, it's a lot of work and not a lot of fun.
0: (laughs) Um,
2: But through the Acadia Kinesiology um, site, that would be the best place to kind of see where I'm at and the things that I'm doing and contact me would probably be the best way to do that.
0: That's awesome. Thanks again, Matt.
2: Thanks, Brad. Thank you.
3: Thank you for watching and listening to this week's episode of the Food and Fitness Podcast. Join us next week when the hosts of the Food and Fitness Podcast sit down to reflect in our Team Huddle episode.